welcome, and thank you for joining us today for the teaching and preaching ministry from Central Baptist Church, Kannapolis, North Carolina. As senior pastor, Dean Hunter shares from the Bible how to live in a fallen world. The goal of Central Baptist Church is to change the world by teaching the Word of God. Come, let's listen in. Jeremiah is a fun, exciting, yet sad and challenging book. And I want to read verses 1 through 10 this morning and preach a few points that we find really in just the introduction of Jeremiah's book and Jeremiah's life, and hopefully it won't be too painful for you. Jeremiah chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. This is important. We'll come back to it. This uh, prophecy, this book is written during the, the, the uh, authority and while Josiah is king. Josiah was a godly king. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, not a very godly king, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified, I separated you, I set you apart. And I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I'm a child. But the Lord said to me, Don't say that you're a child. Say not, I'm a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Verse 8, he says, be not afraid of their faces. We'll come back to that. For I am with thee to deliver thee, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to do what? Listen to what Jeremiah's purpose is for the nations, to root out, to pull down, and to destroy, and to throw down, but yet also to build up and to plant. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that every person in this room, no doubt, has access to a copy of your word in a language they can read. God, we pray today, we preach today, we listen today, no doubt most of us here believing that your word is absolute truth. God, remind us that it is good for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in all righteousness. As we read and study and learn from your word today, may we not leave here today just hearing a few more verses and experiencing another Sunday morning service, but may we leave here changed and may we leave here doers of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to preach today, starting maybe what will turn into a series in the book of Jeremiah, on the thought of the weeping prophet 
Jeremiah's call. Jeremiah's call. No doubt if you've been in church any amount of time, you've heard that Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. If you've ever studied the book of Jeremiah or heard maybe a series preached, you probably know why he is referred to as the weeping prophet. But if not, I want us to today, really as a point of introduction, look at Jeremiah, look at this book in the first few verses, and really learn why he is known as the weeping prophet. We'll look at a, maybe a brief overview of the book as introduction and see this. Jeremiah, as in the text says, he was a priest. He was actually a priest from a lineage of other priests. His dad was a priest. Now, before I go further, I was reading behind one guy who said, uh, one of Jeremiah's most difficult decisions was becoming a prophet, though he is called of God to be a prophet, because it was a lot easier to be a priest than it was to be a prophet. I have to say this today. I I am not a priest, but in maybe modern terms, I am a, a preacher and somewhat comparative to a priest, but I am also a prophet. Whoa, I'm here to tell you everything you need to know. No, I'm not a prophet who comes up with my own prophecies. I am a prophet that reads the word of God and prophesies to us. And God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I am reminded quite often If this helps you like me a little better, I hope it does. But I'm reminded quite often that I am human, that I am imperfect, that I fall and I fall frequently. I have to confess and repent frequently, just like everybody else. As a matter of fact, I feel like sometimes the devil and the flesh and the world and the enemy has me honed in real tight. Maybe you feel that way too, so I'm not going to, that's not something I really want to brag about, to be quite honest. But I fall short. I'm reminded pretty much every Sunday that I am unable in my own flesh to preach or teach with any authority that it all comes from God. Every Sunday school teacher hopefully understands that when he or she gets up in front of a class, whether it's to adults or children, that there is no authority within us because we're just frail, weak, broken vessels. But that we can stand up with the authority of God's word and preach thus saith the Lord and teach thus saith the Lord, knowing that it's his word that's gonna make any change in anybody's life anyway. If I could change your life and I could change my life, I'd be changing lives every day. It's an encouragement to me when church is over and The devil and the enemy says, that was terrible. Or when you say, that was terrible, and I find out, no, nobody tells me that. (laughs) It's an encouragement to know that as long as I am preaching the word of God, he does the work. It's his responsibility to do it. So Jeremiah is a prophet. The priest would really just go about his priestly duties. Anybody could you understand what I'm saying? Don't be offended, you priests in here. But anybody could do the priest work. And, and, and I'm not taking this out of context, but I feel, I feel really strong about what I'm about to say. There's a lot of churches today where the pastors are going through the priestly duties. And they're not prophesying the word of God so that God can work in lives. 
And just to be very honest, I believe there's a lot of us, a lot of us who do the religious duties Sunday after Sunday. I can do that. I can get up on time, maybe. I can dress in something a little more appropriate than I wore yesterday. I can come in and look the part, and I can go home and say, I checked off that box. I went to church. I did it. I, did, I was really spiritual. I went to Sunday school too. Surely God will shine his face upon me this week because I went through the religious duties. But there's something different about prophecy. There's something different about the word of God being spoken and doing something in our lives. I know I'm speaking to, no doubt, a lot of people who week after week would do the same thing. We go to church and we leave the same way. Maybe we were encouraged. Maybe there was a funny joke or maybe, you know, laughter is good for the heart and um, I feel better. But God didn't do anything in our hearts and in our lives. Jeremiah spends 50 years. He spends five decades through different kings preaching, prophesying. God is judging. God's judgment is on the horizon. 50 years he preaches. 50 years he sees ups and a whole lot of downs morally in his personal king in Judah. But he was called to prophesy to the nations, not just Judah. This is important to understand, and I'm getting ahead of myself. But he's going to preach for 50 years, impending judgment. Now I got to go back to what I was saying. It's really, it's a lot more easy for a preacher slash priest to get up Sunday after Sunday, tell a joke, preach three points, and say, y'all have a great week. God bless. Bye-bye. It's a lot easier to do that than it is to get up and preach, judgment is coming. It's a lot easier to preach, God loves you, Every day's a Friday. <laughs> then it is to say, if you don't get right with God, judgment is coming. It's a lot easier to preach, you can have your best life now, than to say, if you are a Christian, but yet you keep living in disobedience to God, judgment is coming. See how easy, see, there's no amens on that. You gave me a good evidential point. Nobody wants to hear that. No church wants to hear. Church, if you're not doing what God has called you to do, there are consequences for that. No nation wants to hear you have left your foundational truths and principles that you created this country upon, and if you don't turn back to that, judgment is coming. Nobody wants to hear that. Just uh, two weeks ago, one of our leading preachers in America made a statement and it hit the news. And I don't know if you read it or saw it, and I didn't read all the articles, but you understand if a, if a person like Franklin Graham makes a statement, then it's turned and twisted and upside down and shaken and by 14 different news sources. And uh, they tell it the way they want to tell it. But he made the statement two weeks ago that judgment is coming to America. 
Nobody wants to hear that. Matter of fact, I didn't even want to read it. But it's a lot easier to avoid the truth. It's a lot easier, church, to avoid the realities that are around us. But we're in the middle of a mess in our nation. We're in the middle of a mess uh, within the church of God in America. And I don't want to take, and I won't take things out of context in this, and, and I'm already off topic or, or off at least my notes, but these principles apply today. If God in the Old Testament illustrates principles to us, what makes us think that changes in 2021? Well, the, this is the Old Testament. We don't have to, no, that doesn't apply to us anymore. First of all, you're very wrong in that because my Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's good for profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction on righteousness. And you say, well, that was in the New Testament. But who, what was he talking about? The Old Testament. So even in the New Testament, God through Paul says all scripture is given and he was talking about the Old Testament. That's all the scripture they had. Paul didn't say, turn to the book of Romans and I'm going to preach today. So all, all scripture is the Old Testament. Yes, the Old Testament is applicable for today. The Ten Commandments are still applicable for today. It's still wrong to have any other God before you. It's still wrong to kill. It's still wrong to lie. And when you don't tell the whole truth, guess what? That's a lie, you liar. No. <laughs> Somebody took that personal when I said that was a joke. <laughs> Jeremiah preached through multiple kings. I think Jeremiah loved his country. Jeremiah experienced the, what some would consider a, a revival under King Josiah. It's a lot to preach there. You probably know the history if you've studied. But then Josiah's son comes on. And Josiah's son is not a godly king. I forgot to mention, I read it, I think I alluded that Manasseh was the most wicked king according to Scripture to ever lead Judah. And, jo and Jeremiah was born under the leadership of Manasseh. He was born during the presidency, if you will, of Manasseh. He saw a country that he loved turn to wicked, rebellious idolatry. Then he sees Josiah come on the scene. And he sees this somewhat of a revival. And then he sees another king come on and it up and down and up and down. What's interesting, and this is very, very biblical, please don't lose me and don't take off thinking, oh, here he goes. What's interesting, if you study the word of God and you study the history, these aren't made up names in some storybook. These are accurate historical, um, not presidents, but leaders, kings. The reason that these kings went one way or the other was because of those they surrounded themselves with. You can't make this stuff up, people. Manasseh was a wicked king because he had wicked mentors. He had wicked, ungodly people surrounding him saying, 
make this rule, do this rule, do this, do that. He was just the mouthpiece for a strategy. Josiah comes on the scene. Josiah uh, surrounds himself with godly people, godly leaders, godly thoughts. And Josiah leads based on that. Anybody see a pattern? Josiah comes on the scene and he gets rid of all those leaders and he gets his own leaders. Leadership matters. Leadership matters from the White House to your house. We have to be careful to surround ourselves with people that will help us, encourage us to do godly things, to make godly decisions. Young people, we preached it for a thousand years. You lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas, right? So you are who you surround yourself with. So, well, I would never make that decision. But if you surround yourself with seven that would, guess what? It's a good chance you're not going to be the one that does it. It makes a difference who we surround ourselves with. Joel would probably appreciate this, so I'll say it. Surround yourself with positive people, encouraging people, and it'll help you be positive, encourage people. Now you can leave, saying you were glad to come to the house of the Lord. No, it does matter. When you surround yourself, and I believe God talks about this, surrounding yourself with godly counselors to make a decision. Don't, go, don't find the person that wants, is going to lead you to make the decision that your flesh wants you to make. Find that good godly counselor to say, you know what, that's probably a dumb decision. This will be the wrong decision. This will be the right decision. And we see that even in the kings of Judah and the surrounding nations. What was Judah's major problem? You'll see this all through the book. I'm here just to introduce it today. Their major problem was rebellion against the word of God, the prophets that were given to them. By the way, the prophets were given for their good. The judges were given for their good. The kings were given because they asked for them, but for their good. Their major problem was they rebelled against the word. God loved his people. He gave them prophets to speak to them, to warn them, to encourage them, but they didn't want to hear it. And when you don't want to hear the word of God, it led to and it leads to idolatry. Their problem over and over through the history of, of Israel, really, was they rebelled against the word of God, their God, and it led to rampant idolatry. Idolatry is anything that is placed before God. This, these are God's people. I am the Lord your God. I love you enough to give you 10 commandments, to give you Moses, to give you leaders. These are God's people but yet they turn their back on God. And anything that we put before God is an idol. So are you still talking about Israel? No, I'm talking about God's people. I'm talking about somebody who God loved enough to save them, who God loved enough to allow his son to die for their sins, to bring them back to him. And you say, Lord, I'm a disciple, I'm a follower. I have forsaken all to follow you. And now you put something in front of God. It's an idol. It's an idol. 
So that sounds old-fashioned. It's an idol. And America is full, America is full of people who claim to be God's people, but they rebel consistently against his word, and it always leads to idolatry. It always leads to, I don't like that, I want something else. And I'm, I'm dead certain that churches all over America are full of professing believers, and some that may be, that are constantly torn spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, because they're trying to serve two gods. And you can't. You'll serve God, or you'll serve mammon, man, or an idol. There's no in-between. So, well, I, I serve God on Sundays. You serve idols every other day of the week based on the Word of God. So that sounds harsh. Sounds, I'm, I'm not motivated. I'm not encouraged right now. And you never will be trying to serve two gods. I never will be. If I'm honest, I can look back at times in my life where I was miserable. And every Christian, if they're honest, can say there are days of my life where I am miserable. And I'm convinced that most often it's because we're trying to serve two gods. He's Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And you can't try to serve him on Monday and put something in his place on Tuesday. The first two of the Ten Commandments, I think they're pretty important. Have no other gods before me. You know, when we make a list of things, we normally start with the most important, number one. I didn't say one's more important than the other. But when I make a list, and you make a list, and God starts off and says, have no other gods before me. And by the way, number two, don't make any gods. Get the point? Let's start this thing off right, God says. Have no other gods. None. You're for me, Jesus says, or you're against me. You can't be for him on Sunday. Hallelujah, I love that song. That's great. God saved me. Oh, grace, 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 grace. And on Monday, I don't know him. You can't do it and be effective. And you can't do it and have a sound mind. And God talks about a sound mind in the New Testament often. Got a lot of people that have an unstable mind because they're trying to serve two gods. Look at Jeremiah, it'll be on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 11. We're still just introducing the book. It's all right. Everybody good? Jeremiah 2:11 is a powerful verse. I hope it comes on the screen. I hope it does, because I put it in green and italics in my notes. Has a nation. This is what Jeremiah says through God's inspiration. Listen to this question. Has a nation changed their gods which are not gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Has a nation changed their gods? So here he goes. He's talking about America again. I'm saying Jeremiah, according to the text that we all read together, was a prophet not just to Judah, but to the nations. It's in there. It's in your King James Bible. That's what it says. And I'm convinced that if we're going to preach the word of God today in truth, with authority, that we have to understand that this is a principle that applies to any nation. And there's a lot of nations on the planet. According to my, and I'm not a history buff, and I don't remember half the history I got in school, just to be quite honest. Most any history I know today is something I learned post-school. And I know I'm the only one. 
But, as far as I know, there's no other country on the planet that established itself for the same purpose and with the foundations that America did. Don't know of any, before or since. And while we're here, and if you haven't figured out, I love America, and I'm patriotic. But before we leave this, I want to say publicly, and I hope we're all Christian enough and smart enough and mature enough to say, America is not perfect. We have messed up. There's been some major mishaps in American history. There still, there's still are problems. There's a reason they've called this for 200 plus years an experiment. We learn as we go. I'm trying not to stay on this road here. We cannot erase history as if it never happened. Not only is that impossible, it's, un, it's not healthy. It's not healthy. I remember where I was, I remember mistakes I've made, and it's not, it's not good for me to dwell on it, but it reminds me of how God has brought me through. It reminds me of work God has done in my life. I can't eliminate memories. We can't eliminate the bad history of America. We teach, we ought to teach it so that we learn from it. You, can't, you cannot be gullible and naive enough to say, if you eliminate it, it'll go away. But there is a strategy to this. Y'all with me? Y'all want a real quick synopsis? There's a strategy. If we eliminate the statues, if we rip the history books away, if we go to all technology, listen, listen, if we have everything, if we have our curriculum on an iPad, and here's the positive, we can change it. Here, here's how it's sold to us. Y'all ready? This is not in the notes, but this is how it's sold to us. Well, history is changing fast. Science changes fast. Yes, I agree. So we can go in, if we have a history book that's on an iPad that's in digital form, that's actually uh, workable, then if something happens tomorrow in history, we can add it to the iPad. So kids are learning today about something that happened yesterday in space. Great. But what we can also do without tearing pages is we can eliminate 200 years of history. You say, well, you'll never be able to get rid of There's a strategy. We eliminate all the, young, all the old teachers. We get rid of the tenured teachers. We get these new teachers that'll sign these signing bonuses and we'll pay them as much as we paid a 15-year teacher. We'll get them straight out of college where they've been indoctrinated for the last 20 years in K through 12 and then in a public university to believe the way we believe. And in time, we'll eliminate all the people that believe like we believe in the public schools, and we'll give them a device to teach them history the way we've written it. There is a strategy. So, whoa, I didn't come to hear that, but I hope you know it. And I hope you understand what we're fighting against. Timeout's over. I, read, I, read, I ran across this quote, and I don't have a person's name, so I'll claim it. No, Here's, this is what it says. The nation's rebellious spirit, coupled with the rise of the Babylonians, made calamity inevitable. If you don't learn from history, 
you're destined to repeat it. Warren Wearsby says this. You say, well, he's, he's putting America into Israel. Nope, we're not. And I'm going to cover that before I quit so that we're on the same page. Wearsby said this, God judges the nations, plural, and eventually pays them the wages earned from their sin. No nation can despise God's law and defy his rule without suffering from it. And all the nations in the world, there's one that I know of that I'm a citizen of right here in America that built the country on the word of God and Judeo-Christian values. You cannot deny it. You can, but you're wrong. And if your teacher teaches it, they're wrong. Some of us old folks have some books we can show you. Matter of fact, do this before they take it all down. Let's take a trip to Washington. I can take you on a two-day tour of Washington and prove to you that there were some people that had some sense that believed this country was founded on Christian principles. There's still monuments all over. There's inscriptions. The Word of God is all over Washington, D.C. Filled with a bunch of, you fill in the blank. In a good Christian way, in church. But there are people that will try to tell us that it didn't happen, and all you got to do is take a few-hour trip up there and see the reality. Say, here we go. We're mixing it. No, I'm telling you, God judges the nations. He is not just the God of Israel. He's the God of the world. He's the God of the nations. And I believe this. I believe according to the Scripture, and here's a good example, Capernaum, the city of Capernaum, you've, been, you've heard this on Wednesday night. The city of Capernaum, which was the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, was cursed by Jesus. If you go there today, there's nothing but ruins thousands of years later. He cursed the city and he said, I'm cursing this city because I did more works here than any other place, yet you did not believe. He goes on to say, Jesus himself goes on to say, if I would have done these works in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. But you didn't. You tell me that same God would allow a country to rise based on his word and his principles and then deny it and rebel against it and turn to gross, intolerable idolatry and he stand back and say, I'm all, I'm all right with that. Here's the problem. This, this is in the notes. Here's the problem. We have a, a, we have a fixed opinion on what judgment looks like. And oftentimes, it's not comparable, nor is it biblical necessarily. Because when we say judgment in 2021, if we say God is going to judge, most of the church immediately sees fire falling from heaven. We see the ground opening up in the Old Testament, people falling in. We see God destroying people with earthquakes. Yeah, that's a representation of God's judgment. I'm convinced of this. A country, a nation that builds on God's word and his fundamentals and his principles, like America, has been blessed for over 200 years because of that. And there is no judgment like the blessings of God being removed from it. When we're looking for fire and brimstone falling from the sky and God says, no, I'm just done blessing There'll be fire and brimstone, but it'll come from within. And we see it, and we smell it, 
And we feel the shaking right now in this country. The ingredients are there. And I go back to this quote that I don't know who said it. When a person says the nation's rebellious spirit, we're the most rebellious people on the planet, especially when it comes to authority. We're teaching disrespect. We're teaching children to have no sense of authority. You really stuck on this today. We got to wake up. We're training kids from infancy not to listen to teachers. Well, let a little boy, he learns different than everybody else. Just let him run around the classroom. He, he's got to learn differently. Listen, I get really sensitive to this stuff because I grew up where, you know, it didn't happen that way. And I know there are people in here. There are people in here and there are people all around. It's like, oh, he's so insensitive. No, there are special needs and there are special, we got it all. We got classes for everybody that has legitimate special needs. It's a problem nationally, federally, and locally. I know it, I've seen it, I've experienced it, I know it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a kid that just needs to learn a little respect and authority. You say, that ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. It has everything to do with it because God teaches respect. God teaches authority. God teaches me that every police officer is an authority over me, that that authority comes from God. And I respect authority. I respect the police officer. A A kid that won't listen to a teacher will one day not listen to a police officer. And we've, we're coddling it. Do you understand where we're headed? We're coddling that behavior. Oh, he just needs to learn different. He, oh, you're going, where, where's little Jimmy at? He's under the beanbag over in the corner with his book. Why? That's how he learns. I'm not making this mess up. We've created rooms that look like jungle gyms. Go into schools. If you haven't been in your school, go in your school. If it's public school. We give out awards for the most creative classroom. There's candles, there's you know, tiki torches. Oh, we want this to be aloha, you know, whatever. Like they learn so much better in this. And, and some may. But what happened? I, I've asked this question for eight years, seven years. How do you know that we learned wrong? I ask that all the time. Prove to me how we were so dumb. We can't test like we've tested for 100 years. Why? I look around the room and everybody's successful. How did we make it? I don't know. (laughs) Because there is a strategy. There is a strategy from our enemy to grow up a generation that's rebellious against God. Listen, it's going to be easy. It's going to be easy for a kid to grow up rebellious against the word of God. How? They don't know it exists. They don't know the country was founded on it. Don't believe those crazy knuckle draggers that get up and scream and preach and say we were founded on the word of God. They don't know what they're talking about. What, what do they do when they go to Washington? Don't look at that. Don't look at that. No, no don't look at that. No, don't look at that. Teacher, why does, it, why does that have Moses looking over everybody? Why does the Ten Commandments? Don't look at that. We're growing a generation that's rebellious against the word of God and idolatry is rampant because you get to do what you want to do. 
You can be anything you want to be. Any day you want to be it. We laugh about it. Has anybody called on to why Jeremiah is the weeping prophet yet? I'm going to be very honest. It's hard to prepare this without thinking about our country, thinking about our culture, and not getting to the place where you're weeping yourself about what you're reading. When I think about what it might be like 10 years from now, for my kids, for your kids, for your grandkids, we would have never thought there would be a day where kids within a half a mile of this church would not know John 3.16, but it happens. We would have never thought, most of us are my age and older, would have never thought there'd be a day that there would ever be a kid that's 12 years old that's never stepped foot in a church, a real church. But that's where we're at today. And then I go back to that quote and I think, the rebellious spirit coupled with the rise of the Babylonians, that Babylonian empire, made it, made calamity inevitable. I think about the ingredients of our culture today and think about the rise of some Babylonian empires around America. It's a different world we live in than 20 and 30 and 50 years ago. There are some empires that are waiting. Y'all with me? They're waiting for our destruction. They're not waiting to destroy us. They're waiting for our destruction when it's easy for them to take over. Oh, Lord, you're going there? I'm just saying, I can look around. I can see the volatility of our financial markets. Because we, we're always at wars, all wars, planes and boats and missiles. No. Not if you're weak from the inside. Not if you crumble from the inside. And, and surely if you neglect and forsake the God who has blessed you. This is worse news than I thought it was going to be. I want to give us, as we now conclude, the three points. Trust me, I won't be long. We see in this text, really in verses 4 through 10, just as an introduction, Jeremiah's appointment to be a prophet, Jeremiah's assurance, and Jeremiah's authority. This is the good news. I've gotten you all depressed. I don't want to do that. Because I want to go back to verse 10. I think it's verse 10. This is not all bad news. Jeremiah is not just proclaiming impending doom and destruction. There is a message of hope. Like the first half of the whole book is all about judgment. And God and Jeremiah are going back and forth. Which is kind of fun and funny. But there's hope. There's encouragement. Listen, I wouldn't get up and preach this if there wasn't encouragement. I wouldn't get up here and put you into mully grubs and say, well, have a nice day. I'm going out of here. I wouldn't do that. I don't want you to do that to me, by the way. That's why when you come up with a problem, I'm going to turn to you and say, do you have a solution? It might not be the right solution, but I want to at least hear that it's not all negative. Oh, I didn't know that's how that worked. Oh, I thought that's all. 
I saw that complaint box back there. I thought we were just supposed to put complaints in it. There's not a complaint box. It's all right. Jeremiah is appointed. His whole name means the God who appoints. This, this is the encouragement. Are y'all ready? God has a plan for you and me. If God has saved you, then he's called you to service. He is appointing us. He has appointed us. God has an appointment for me. God has an appointment for you. He doesn't save you just to go to heaven. He doesn't save you to just be a trophy of grace in his cabinet. But ain't that in a song? I'm a trophy of grace. Yeah. But he has something for you to do. Or he wouldn't have left you here. And so Jeremiah is called, listen to what he says in verse 5, before I formed you. That's an important word. That, that word form is the same Hebrew word that's used in forming a clay vessel. It's the exact same Hebrew word. You don't just say, oh, here's a nice clump of clay. Oh, let's make a, I almost said something funny. This is how old school I am. And when we used to have art in elementary school, I used to make ashtrays. <laughs> we had a Christmas tree ashtray at the house. My brother, my oldest brother, I remember this. I remember vividly this. This is great. This is how redneck we were. My brother, who was in auto mechanics at A.L. Brown, made an ashtray at the top of a piston, a bottom of a piston, a car piston, engine. (laughs) Had nice ashtrays around the house. It's the word formed. It's the same word in Genesis and creation where God formed them out of the dust. It's, uh, it's personal that God has a plan. He appoints us. He forms us before we exit the belly. God had a plan for us. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you who are saved. Rejoice in that. Be encouraged in that. God is not finished with you. God is not done with you. God allowed you to be born, allowed you to be saved because he has a purpose for you, an appointment for you, something for you to do. Paul understood this. He said, think think about Paul in Galatians 1. Paul was rough. He was the worst of the worst. He killed Christians. But yet he understood in Galatians 1 that it pleased God, he said, uh, through his grace to call me from my mother's womb. Paul understood that God had a plan for him, even though he had lived a life that didn't look very godly. And so we see that Jeremiah was appointed by God. And then I love, I love verse 6 and 7, where, and verse 8, where we see that Jeremiah uh, receives assurance from God. He receives assurance from God. i got to say this. Jeremiah is no different than us in a lot of respects. Moses is no different than us in a lot of respects. I, I counted, I read something that said, Moses gave at least five excuses for why he couldn't be called for God. Right? Moses said, I can't speak, I'm not able, I'm a nobody, they won't listen to me, uh, I, I got a problem speaking. What does, what does Jeremiah say in verse 6? And I love what the King James says here. Then said I, and then I interject what I think it meant, ah. That's what it says in the King James, right? So God says, I've called you to be a prophet, and, and Moses, and Jeremiah's like, oh, yeah. ah. You forgot about this God. That's got to be funny to somebody. Ah, but God, you forgot. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Thanks for pointing that out that I don't have a good memory. 
He says, ah, Lord, I can't speak, for I am young. Now, some of you that are, think you're old, but you're not quite as old as you like to think you are, uh, most scholars say that Jeremiah was in his 20s. Okay, he's 20s, that's just nothing. I, I, I got socks that old, whatever. So he's in his 20s. But if you, if you study some Hebrew uh, tradition, uh, that you were still considered young below 45. 45 years old, you're still young. So now I will be 47 in just a couple weeks. I'm old. I have authority. I can shake the pulpit now and knock stuff off. No. Up to 45, he's in his 20s. He's not saying, I'm young. I'm too young to speak. I don't know what to say. He's not saying, I can't speak. What he's saying is, I can't speak with authority because I'm young. Listen, I've been there for at least three years. Everybody with me? I feel insufficient, inadequate. I've known a lot of you longer than I've been pretty much around um, I've known you and you're older and you're wiser and you've got your pew and it's your spot and don't you dare change a thing. I know that. And some decided I'll find another pew at another church and they took off. But that's a different story. We'll talk about that later. So I understand that I could say I'm young. Not now, I'm old now. But I could have said I'm young. And that's what he's saying. I don't have authority. But listen to God's response. It's not about you and your authority. It's in there, just trust me. It's my authority. God's response to Jeremiah's, ah, but God, you forgot, was, you will go where I send you and you will say what I tell you to say. And then he follows up and later says, I will put my words in your mouth. Listen, I hope, I'm not saying it because this is inappropriate kind of for me to say, but I understand, I'm 47. I understand I've been in this church for 37 of my 47 years of living. I understand some of you remember me when I was young and, and goofy or whatever, although I wasn't very bad ever. I know that for sure. But I know it's difficult. I know it's difficult if you're 60 or 70 or 80 years old to say, I can't believe that God's up here trying to tell me something. And here's what God has told me, and I hope we all together understand this. I'm not telling you what I want to tell you. I'm telling you what God has said. It's his authority. I have to listen to it. I have to preach it to myself. I don't study it and say, well, they don't like that one. No, I'm like, oh God, no, I don't want to hear this. It's God's authority. And that goes for any pastor, any preacher, any teacher that gets up in front of you. And God says, don't be worried about your youth. I'm giving you my words. And he's had to tell me that a few times lately. But I love this part. What does he say? Um, I love this. Y'all ready? Don't be afraid of their faces. I love that. I love, the, I love the King James for that reason right there. ESV says, don't be afraid of them. But I love the faces because every pastor can relate to that. I actually looked up because uh, some of you like the ESV and I read the ESV. But ESV says, don't be afraid of them. King James, New King James uh, says, don't be afraid of their faces. And so I looked up faces to see if um, the King James writers got it right. And it, the word actually means the part that turns. Well, how much fun did I have with that? The part that turns. That's what the Hebrew word means for faces, the part that turns. And so I looked at it like, the part that turns. Here I go. I'm like, no. I was like, no, it's, it's, the, it's anything that lets you know they like or dislike what you're saying. And so God says to them, don't be afraid of their faces. He gives them, he gives him assurance 
And he says this, I'm giving you my word, but I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Don't be afraid of their faces. I'll be with you. And I immediately thought of Romans 8.31, where Paul says, if God be for me, who can be against me? I like this version. I made it up. If God be for me, who cares who's against me? He shows his authority, uh, his assurance, and then he gives him his authority. He says in the verse 10, by the way, he says, I'll put my words in your mouth. That's the authority. It's God's authority, not my authority, not Jeremiah's authority. And then he says in verse 10, I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms. Not as a prince over the nations, but as a prophet to preach to the nations. Listen, I'm like you. I don't like bad news as much as anybody. If you like bad news, then I probably don't like you and you don't like me. But bad news is not just um, for the purpose in, in Jeremiah's condition or in Jeremiah's situation. is just, hey, proclaim bad news. Judgment's coming. No, it's the good news is I'm with you. The authority is mine. And he tells them, and it's there, and I got ahead of myself, and then I got behind myself, and then I'm going over time, I know. But he says the purpose in that authority is not to be over as a, as a king, but to be over as a prophet and be able to proclaim. And here's what he says, and here's what I want to end on, and then we're going to have communion. He says a couple things. Yeah, it's there. Thank you. That helps me. Um, to do what? To root out. Not just to root out, but to root out and then to plant. Most of us, if you, then again, if you planted too early and didn't cover them up, they're ruined because of global warming. <laughs> Frost in April, mid-April, what's going on? Well, I remember that time it snowed. In I know, it was global warming. But so you, you uproot. And so none, I don't know anybody that has a small garden or big garden that plants over what you had last year. You uproot, you clean out, and then you plant. Listen, there's some things personally that we have to uproot before we can plant. There's things in church life that we have to uproot. We gotta get rid of some religiosity and get rid of some tradition. This is how it's gotta be before we can plant things that God wants us to plant. And then he says to tear down. I'm calling you to tear down. Listen, there's some things that aren't worth having anymore in your life and in my life. And we just tear them down so that we, God can build back something better. That sounded like Joe Biden. Let's build back better. Let's tear down. No, but I didn't get it from him. That just happened. No, there's some things in life and things in church and things in this country we need to tear down and build back. And that's what he's called us to do. He wants to use us to do it. I believe he wants to use this church to do it, to be quite honest with you. I'm convinced of this as much as I'm standing here. God wants to use you and me and us collectively together to do some things in this area, in this community, in this part of the town, some things that need to be uprooted and planted, some things that need to be tore down and rebuilt. But he needs to do it in us first. He can and he will. Would you stand with me? Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to know more about Central Baptist Church, events and ministries, please visit our webpage at cbckannapolis.com.